This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Kerry Calvert, Director of Tax and Commodity Policy at Feeding America. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is a national coalition of sugar farmers, processors, refiners, and suppliers dedicated to preserving a strong sugar industry. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Feeding America's Kerry Calvert next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy. You can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Through a network of 200 food banks and thousands of local agencies, Feeding America serves 46 million people and leads efforts to reduce hunger. But despite theirs, others, and government efforts, one in seven in this country is considered food insecure. Kerry Calvert, Director of Tax and Commodity Policy at Feeding America, says that means those individuals have some very difficult financial choices. We do a, a survey called Hunger in America, and when we released it in 2014, for that survey we asked if you're having trouble ensuring that your household income meets your needs, what choices do you make? 69% have to choose between paying for utilities and food. 67% report paying for transportation and food, 66% medicine and food, and then 57% housing and food. And what we find really is that food is one of those expenses that is very often the loser in that equation. Many of these household needs that people can't meet can be life and death or at least very, very important we have heard discussion about the amount of money that is spent for hunger programs in the country. And when I see the relationship between food and then health care, it makes you wonder if perhaps the, the best investment is to make sure that the people are fed. We've really seen that as well, whether it's looking at funding for feeding programs for low-income seniors, right? A lot of our uh, food bank members have looked at the cost for a senior to go into um, an assisted living facility or a nursing home versus being able to stay in their home, even if it means needing um, you know, food assistance or meal prep assistance. Obviously, you can really save a lot of long-term expenses with um, – a front-loaded investment in nutrition. When you look at the incidence of diet-related disease among people in this country, especially children, you realize that there's a significant cost associated with not having enough food and also with not ensuring that people have access to enough nutritious food to meet their needs. A lot of discussion over the past couple of years, especially in the House Agriculture Committee, with regard to the SNAP program and nutrition programs. On the Senate side, there's been plenty of talk about the school lunch program and child nutrition. What's the significance of the school lunch program, and how effective do you see that serving kids for lunch and, and also the breakfast program of the country? Sure. The National School Lunch Program is really significant in its scope in that 
it really touches so many of the children in this country, whether they need economic assistance and are able to get free or reduced price lunch, or even are paying and purchasing school lunch. You know, it really plays a significant role in nourishing children across this country. I think the child nutrition bill that Congress has been considering also does a lot of other great things. It really takes a look at how we can help children during those out-of-school times when we know they're hungry. Maybe it's ensuring that more children that are eligible for school breakfast are taking advantage of it, but it's also ensuring that after-school meals and weekend meals and summer meals for children that are eligible are able to get to them. I think there's a lot of things that many supporters had hoped could be simplified and streamlined with a lot of the after-school and summer feeding programs for children, and I think that would help our food banks reach a lot more children in need. Carrie, with regard to the mission of Feeding America, do you feel like that you are meeting the need of every person in the country, or how many are left still being unserved despite federal food programs beside your effort and others who are working to meet this gap? I think that's a really important distinction that you bring up, Jeff. So Feeding America produces something called Map the Meal Gap. We take a look, and you can see that on our website, which is feedingamerica.org. We take a look at the USDA food insecurity rates, and we map that with uh, data that Nielsen provides us uh, with the cost per meal in every community nationwide. So you can actually see what the meal gap is, and we can see annually what the meal gap is. And so we know that there's a meal gap of over 8 billion meals that are missing from the lives of food insecure Americans. So while we have a significant reach, we still know that it's not enough. Uh, We provide around, this year we're going to provide about 4 billion meals to people in need, but there's still a significant meal gap. Um, And You know, we know that what we do is only a small percentage of the reach of the federal nutrition programs. Uh, If you were to to try to compare the reach of the Feeding America Network with the reach of the SNAP program, you know, all of the meals that we provide is about 10% of the SNAP program annually. So it's very important to realize that I think we all have a a role to play in fighting hunger, both the nonprofit sector and... um, the Federal Nutrition Safety Net, and also the partnerships that we have with the ag and the food industry to ensure that excess food is able to be redirected to people in need. There's also a certain group of people that are in the gap that make just enough to be beyond the SNAP program, but not necessarily enough to satisfy their own or their family's need for food. Right. According to our Hunger in America data, 55% of the people that we serve are on SNAP. That means that 45% aren't. Now, some of those people very well may be eligible based on income guidelines for SNAP benefits. And certainly where we're able to, we educate and provide outreach and try to connect them with benefits that they are eligible for. But there are a lot of people that do fall into that benefit cliff uh, where they make too much to qualify for assistance, but not enough to meet their needs independently. And certainly that's a spot where our network of food banks steps in to provide assistance. Let's look over our shoulder at the Obama administration. How have food needs been met under this administration? First, I do want to reiterate that we've definitely seen a strong bipartisan commitment from both the Obama administration and from congressional leaders from both sides of the aisle 
to supporting programs that can help people, especially in dealing with the economic downturn uh, that we found ourselves in at the start of the Obama administration. So many of the things that uh, Congress and the president proposed and, and were able to pass into law, such as the, the economic stimulus legislation that provided additional resources for SNAP as well as for TFAP foods that go to food banks, that was a significant help. Uh, also, USDA has really been a very strong partner with Feeding America and with nonprofits in looking at the role that USDA programs can play in helping communities and helping nonprofits reach more hungry people in their local communities. I think that's been a, a, a significant, significant source of help for a lot of our food bank members. We also really applaud the passage of expanded tax incentives for food donation that were included in the PATH Act at the end of 2015. I think that really will help strengthen a lot of the food donation programs that are already there with both growers and, the, and producers in the ag industry as well as with food manufacturers, restaurants, and food retailers. And the expansion of the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit in that legislation will also really help a lot of low-income Americans that are struggling. Carrie, let's look in the first 100 days of the Trump administration. What do you see before the Congress, and especially that might relate to feeding programs in the country? So Congress is about to leave, and they are expected to pass a continuing resolution for the rest of the federal fiscal year 2017. So when they come back, we know that they will need to finish up the second half of funding for fiscal year 2017, as well as consider the federal budget and what things should be funded for fiscal year 2018. We are very concerned that a budget resolution could use a process called budget reconciliation to be able to pass with a simple majority vote cuts to many federal spending programs, many of which would impact low-income Americans. Specifically, we're concerned that the budget resolution process could be used to cut funding for federal nutrition programs, and that would have a very significant negative impact on the 46 million Americans that our food banks are serving nationwide. When I read comments from Chairman Conaway, it seems that the two years of hearings they held on the SNAP program was just to measure the effectiveness of it and to see if the efficiency of the program could be improved. The Democratic side on the Agriculture Committee quite sensitive to any change that might come that would take away benefits or deny services to those who are in need. In fact, Representative McGovern said that you're in for a heck of a fight if you're up for changing this program. How did you evaluate the House hearings, and, and what do you think that was brought out that that should have been told or reveal concerns that need to be addressed? First, we really commend Chairman Conaway for holding this series of hearings. I think at the start of them, there were some new members on the committee that weren't as familiar with a lot of the programs under their jurisdiction. And I think any time a chairman is committed to helping committee members learn more about a program and how it works, I think that's a positive thing. It really gives the anti-hunger community and the clients we serve a great opportunity to, to educate people and to ensure that our concerns about any potential cuts are heard. I think one of the the stories and the themes that really came out of that, for us at least, is 
there are a lot of people that are still struggling to find employment in this country. And there's a very real challenge in ensuring that there are enough job training slots and opportunities for the number of people that need them and are looking for them. So that challenge of providing job training for people that need it and ensuring that they have the opportunity to find work, I think that's something that both sides of the aisle can agree is definitely needed to ensure that people can support themselves and support their families through work. Certainly, we do echo Congressman McGovern's concerns that some of those ideas could include cutting SNAP benefits. What would be your reaction to federal change to the SNAP program and making it toward block grants? We have significant concerns about proposals to block grant SNAP. We absolutely are concerned that a block grant of the SNAP program would lead to less people receiving benefits from it. I think that there is always interest in ensuring that federal programs can operate as efficiently as possible, but we want to ensure that efficiency is not a code word for reducing federal spending on these vital programs. 43 million Americans are receiving assistance from SNAP right now. That is a significant amount of resources that would be lost if this program was block granted, and there is no way that our food banks could step in and provide that food assistance if it were cut. Chairman Conaway had suggested that it didn't really matter to him whether food and agriculture sides of the Farm Bill were approved together or apart as long as they were both approved. Do you see an advantage or a disadvantage uh, to splitting those or approving them together? Feeding America strongly believes that the path to passage of a Farm Bill that supports a strong ag industry and a strong federal nutrition safety net is to keep the bill together. And we certainly want to partner with Congress, and we want to partner with the ag industry and other groups that want a strong farm bill to carry that message forward. When you look at the unique partnership that produces a strong farm bill, in our mind, that says the ag and nutrition titles should stay together in a farm bill. There are some staggering numbers that have been brought up lately talking about the amount of food waste in the country. Is there a way that uh, the waste and the loss can be turned to help those who are in need? I do think there's a really powerful opportunity here. I know the, the broader term is food waste, and that just means food that's not making it, you know, all the way down the supply chain to a consumer's plate. I, I like to joke that Feeding America has been involved in food waste since before it was popular and trendy, since that really is one of the issues that we were founded on to help coordinate the donation of wholesome extra food to people in need in a safe manner. So we've been very successful in partnering with the food industry and partnering with the ag industry to help do that. And I think there's a real opportunity to strengthen a lot of the programs and provisions that help do that through the next farm bill. Certainly, we want to ensure that the ag industry and growers are made whole for their cost to grow the food anytime there's excess food. At the same time, we have a very real logistics challenge and sometimes a processing challenge in figuring out how to get excess crops from the field to our food bank doors and to the plates of the people we serve. So I think there are a lot of things that we can look at through the Farm Bill that will help make that much more efficient for both 
donors, and food bank. Are there tax reforms, whether corporate or for individual, that could help your cause? I think that is something that can definitely help. We supported and worked for a very long time to have the federal enhanced tax deduction for food donations expanded. That was done at the end of 2015. I think there's a lot we can do to partner with the ag industry to educate growers about the incentives that are there. You know, prior to 2015, um, a cash basis grower had no way to calculate the deduction if they wanted to donate food. Well, that's a significant percentage of American growers, so we felt it was really important to have that language fixed, and it was at the end of 2015. Moving forward, I think there are probably going to be other things that could be expanded to encourage giving when you've got excess crops in the field, but, you know, it's going to cost money to harvest them and process them. You know, how can we ensure that the tax code helps encourage, I guess, the best behavior in all of us? Farmers and growers and food manufacturers really want to ensure that excess food they have gets to people in need. But at the same time, I don't think it's fair to say to a grower, it's going to cost you more money to donate this food than if you left it in the field. So there's a very powerful role that tax incentives can play in helping level the economic playing field so that growers and food manufacturers and others in the food industry can get extra food to people in need. Is it frustrating for you to hear the story of growers who can't bring in immigrant labor and crops are lost in the field? I think anytime you're hearing about crops that can't be harvested and food that's not making it to people's tables, it's you know a real shame. I mean, especially when you hear stories from people and you uh, talk to clients and realize the profound personal impact that hunger has on their lives. Uh, it's really powerful. I live in Northern Virginia, and one of my friends hosted a child from the Fresh Air Fund this summer, which connects children in uh, New York City with families that host them for the summer so that they can see what living in a more rural or suburban environment is like and you know, exposes them to the outdoors and new communities. She said one of the most powerful things she heard uh, the child that she hosted say was telling her mom that she could have apples whenever she wanted. The fact that she had access to fresh fruit whenever she wanted it was literally the most impactful part of that child's stay. And I'm sure there are more powerful stories out there, but that just really spoke to me and made me realize you know, the the powerful positive impact food can play in people's lives and the powerful negative impact the lack of it can have. Uh, with regards to immigration, that is definitely outside of, of our expertise in terms of the work that we do to fight hunger. But I do think these broader issues of, you know, how do we, how do we work with the ag industry and how do we figure out how to get excess food to the tables of people in need, in my mind, really cries out for a bipartisan solution. And I think the good news is that there is a lot of bipartisan interest in this, and I really do think this can be something that Democratic and Republican members on the House and the Senate Ag Committees can really come together to work on. Well, Gary Calvert, we want to thank you very much for being a part of this edition of Open Mic, especially here at the opening and during the holiday season. This is Open Mic, and you have an open forum. Great. I, I really appreciate that, Jeff, and the opportunity to talk more about 
the work that we do with your listeners, I would just encourage everyone, if you want to to learn more about how you can get involved, feel free to go to feedingamerica.org, find the local food bank in your community, uh, get involved, whether it's to reach out to do um, a virtual food drive fundraising campaign or to donate food, or if you're in the ag industry or the policy space, reach out to your food bank and learn more. Attend a roundtable with them. Ask about what their fears are, what their concerns are moving forward, what opportunities they see, what programs they're excited about. We really want to strengthen the connections between both the food industry and the government with our food banks. We think there's a a very, very powerful role we can all play working together to meet the needs of people in need. So thank you. Our thanks to Feeding America's Carrie Calvert, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is a national coalition of sugar farmers, processors, refiners, and suppliers dedicated to preserving a strong sugar industry. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.